Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 155 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. What's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm great. Wonderful. Um, I'm tired. I feel like I'm either wide awake all the time and caffeinated or very, very sleepy. I'm very, very sleepy at the moment, but that's okay. It feels like fall. Weather always makes me sleepy. Yeah, and I don't know about the rest of the country or the rest of the world, but right now in Cleveland, it's like a little bit warmer than it was the week before. And so because of that, there's bugs everywhere outside. I feel like I went for a couple of runs this week and like I feel like I'm just itchy the rest of the day. So, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It is like fall weather. I'm not complaining, but it's weird to go from the cold to warm and then the bugs are like, we're going to be everywhere. Here we are. Pretty much. Yeah. So that's okay. Um, today's episode is an interview I did with Ben Blum. He is an author of the book Ranger Games, which is now out. Uh, this is a nonfiction book. Ben's cousin, Alex Blum, uh, was this amazing kid growing up. Uh, he was incredibly athletic. He always wanted to go into the Army. He wanted to be an Army Ranger all of his entire life. And he went through the whole program to become an Army Ranger, became an Army Ranger, and like the week before he was going to get deployed, he helped one of his uh superior officers commanding officers like one of the officers above him uh rob a bank and ended up going to jail and yeah it's a crazy story and so ben wanted to try to figure out like why did this all happen because he and his cousin were they were similar ages so they're you know like when you're similar age with a cousin growing up sure you're close you're not that close um but ben he is such a smart man. Uh, he has a PhD in computer science, and he's like a mathematical like genius. Um, like oh my borderline savant. He's so smart, and he kind of put that aside to do all this research about what happened to his cousin Alex. So the beginning of the book, he and again this is all true. All that happened at the beginning of the book, he goes through everything that his cousin went through to become an army ranger, which is just in pure insanity. Right. Like I, I the re the recounting of the stuff army ranger people like went through in ranger school it like i was holding my breath thinking realizing real people did this um but he goes through he had tons of conversations with his cousin about this while he was in prison and the whole story is fascinating um this is ben's first book and i i don't want to be like one of those like call your shot people but like don't be surprised if it is on the like pulitzer shortlist for nonfiction. it's getting a lot of buzz it's incredible um and again, the man is so thoughtful. I got to actually see him speak live at BEA before I chatted with him for the podcast. And just, man, what someone who I, I told him, I was like, are you going to write more books? Or are you going to go back to doing mathematics? Because to th- to, when you read this book and you realize that writing is not this mm-hmm. guy's like first thing that he does, it blew my mind. Just one of those, you meet someone, you're like, whoa, you are so smart. <laughs> um I can't recommend this book enough. It's fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds. 
and email us directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And, and finally got around to setting up our Instagram account. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um, Twitter and Instagram are at probooknerds. Yeah. And we will uh, we'll try to you're, you're going to see a bunch of pictures of like us with authors and stuff like that that we've done in the past. But uh, we'll try to get creative and like take pictures when we're doing recordings. And we'll our office is awesome at yeah. Overdrive, so we'll do some like behind the scenes stuff there. So well, it'll be worth a follow. It's not just going to be the same stuff you would see on Twitter. So yeah, we finally Jill was really forward thinking a long time ago and got the name so it would be the same as our Twitter handle. Then we never did anything with it. Nope. But we did. We are now. Finally. Finally. So follow it. So, um, anything else you can think of that you want to tell? It's reading listeners? ebook day today. It is reading ebook day. I shouldn't have forgot that, <laughs> guys. I created a holiday. It's called reading ebook day. Um, it's been going on for four years, and it's today, September eighteenth. If you're listening to this the day it goes out, if you're not listening to it the day it goes out, it was September eighteenth. <laughs> um, if you go to readingebookday.com, you can see. All sorts of fun stuff that we're doing. Uh, we're giving away a bunch of devices, Kobo Aura Ones, thanks to our friends at Kobo. Um, so if you want to, I'm so glad you brought this up, Jill. If you want to go on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and use the hashtag ebooklove and tell us why you love ebooks, um, we're going to give away some devices to some people. So literally, you can take pictures of the ebooks you're reading today to celebrate. You can tell us how ebooks have made your lives more convenient. Whatever you want to do, have some fun with it. We've seen some people posting videos and all sorts of stuff. Also, if you're a librarian listening in, uh, be sure to post pictures around your libraries with the hashtag ebooklove. We're going to give away some free content credit for our librarians as well. So, yeah, man, I shouldn't have forgotten that thing. Eh, that's okay. So, anyway, um, so yeah, happy reading ebook day. Um, anything else that I'm forgetting? I think that's everything. Okay. Also, if you didn't listen on Saturday, we released an episode all about it, and it's the best thing that I think we've ever done. So, go back and listen to that too. That's everything. Okay. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Ben Blum on the Professional Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Adam again from Team Overdrive. And today I'm joined by Ben Blum, who was born and raised in Denver, Colorado, and holds a PhD in computer science from Cal Berkeley, as well as an MFA in fiction from the New York, uh, from NYU. His first book, Ranger Games, is due out in September of this year. So, Ben, first off, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, can you give everybody a little bit of an introduction into Ranger Games? Because I would not do it justice if, if I tried. Sure, yeah. Um, so, Ranger Games is the story of my cousin Alex Blum, um, who I grew up with in Denver, Colorado. He was a super patriotic kid, very idealistic, um, very straight arrow. Uh, He dreamed of joining the Army Rangers from the time he was a small boy, um, worked very hard to achieve that, enlisted in the Army right after graduating from high school, went through an incredibly difficult, painful selection program called the Ranger Indoctrination Program, um, and made it. Most recruits quit, but he stuck it out um, and was uh, posted to Fort Lewis. And then four months after joining the Rangers, the achievement of his lifelong dream, uh, about a week before his first deployment, which he'd also been very excited about, he uh, participated in an armed bank robbery with AK-47 smuggled back from the Middle East. Um, he was arrested shortly afterward, and uh, our entire family went into a kind of a spasm of uh, confusion and dismay. Um, I, was, I was very involved in that. I was working in Seattle at the time at a biology lab. The bank was in Tacoma mm-hmm. nearby. 
and for the next seven years, I um, researched his story, talked mm. to him, interviewed a bunch of other conspirators in the in the robbery, bank tellers, anyone I could think of to try to get to the bottom of the mystery of why he had done this this yeah. thing. And something that struck me as interesting is you talk about in the beginning of the book a little bit that you know your cousins and you grew up you know somewhat relatively close to each other, but you weren't like the best of friends. You know you weren't like connected at the hip as people will sometimes say about their cousins or brothers and things like that. So what made you want to share this story? Because when people look at this book, you have put so much time and effort into it. It's a giant endeavor to kind of want to take on. So what made you first want to? tell the story and get to the bottom of it it's a good question yeah when Alex and I were young we were we were almost perfect opposites he was the big jock of the family he was a, a hockey star he played on this really elite club in Colorado I was a total math nerd mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was only when he was in prison after his arrest for bank robbery that we started to become close we exchanged letters he was suddenly a voracious reader of kind of scholarly texts about military science and social psychology as he tried to grapple with how he had come to this insane place. I started reading all the same books. Um, and I, we found a, a strange kind of um, philosophical affinity. I, at that point, was still working as a computer science researcher. A lot of my research had been funded by the Department of Defense. Um, I didn't have much education in the liberal arts, um, was not very politically sophisticated, but I had this growing unease Mm -hmm. with how um, implicated I was in political forces outside my understanding or control. Mm -hmm. And he had been caught up also in in these forces very much outside his understanding or control. So we bonded through that. Mm -hmm. um, And I I just didn't expect the book to become a seven-year-long marathon. (laughs) I really thought... He and I would whip out in six months this quick account of his story that would more or less exonerate him. Mm-hmm. I, I thought of him as um, innocent of this crime yeah. when I began it. Um, and then the story just got more and more complex. Mm-hmm. And you talk about, you know, you were doing computer science and, and you talk about again in the book about how, I apologize for showering praise directly in front of you, but you you were a math prodigy as a child, very much so someone who understands you know theories and algorithms and things that most people will never grasp you were understanding them very early on in your life and you were working in that area this is not a mathematical book there this isn't there aren't you know equations and things in this this is a a you tell this story beautifully and you have all these facts and everything so from a writing process what was it like getting into because you said you you weren't very you weren't incredibly educated at the time in liberal arts so yeah how did you go from computer science to writing a you know, 400 plus page book about this? Well, thanks for the kind words about it. I, the answer is very slowly and painfully. <laughs> That's the other reason it took seven years. I mean, I think each of the, I, who knows how many drafts of this that, in which I rewrote it from scratch, scrubbed out a little bit more of the math sure. until finally <laughs> we've reached a mostly human state um, at this point. Uh, when I began the project, I think part of the reason that I expected it to go so quickly is I had a very mathematical perspective on this puzzle of mm-hmm. why he got involved. Um, I wanted to figure out the you know the equation that explained Alex and right. Alex robbing a bank, and that equation just did not exist, mm-hmm. which kind of blew my mind. So um, over the next years, I. I 
um, spent a lot of time educating myself in all the different disciplines that I was going to need to um, understand the human forces that went into this. Yeah. Uh, so did you have, at the, at the time when you started wanting to write this, did you have your MFA from NYU? Or was that no. something that you decided was that part of your educating yourself, as you said, was that yeah, part of that, that process? That, yeah, that's exactly right. No, I was still working on my PhD. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, even while there, there was some overlap, I had to fly back to Berkeley after my first semester at mm -hmm. NYU to defend my dissertation. Um, I, so I was, I'd, I'd always dabbled in, in poetry sure. more than in fiction, um, but uh, I got the MFA with an eye toward eventually writing this book that about Alex sense, when yeah. I knew how to do it finally. So are you still using your mathematical background? Like, are, you, I, are you still working in, in mathematical fields right now, <laughs> or have you kind of done an about face and completely yeah. shifted over? Uh, there were some years when I very rigorously avoided any contact with math and science. Uh -huh. I felt this almost dangerous seduction <laughs> coming from these familiar fields sure. where, I, where I was comfortable. Um, so I, I pursued a sort of strict diet of um, the humanities for some years. And mm -hmm. then um, I, I started working in some data science jobs sure. as I was um, before I, I managed to sell the book. Yeah, and I'm, I'm picturing, this is just because I'm a nerd, I'm picturing you being at NYU working on, you know, on your MFA and then like, just kind of wandering over and seeing a chalkboard, kind of like Goodwill Hunting style, like seeing a chalkboard of an equation, just walking over and just filling out the last bit of it and then walking away and someone just looking at you like, I thought he was here for a writing program. But, so you're saying that didn't happen? Uh, it's well, it's not that far off if the chalkboard is internet message boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, mathoverflow.com. Yeah. Um, so from a research standpoint for this story, you're, you're working through something that happened that I can't imagine the Army is incredibly excited about wanting to share information about things. Mm -hmm. So how did you go about getting the necessary information? You, you talked about doing some interviews and things, but can you just kind of take us through your research process for this? Yeah, um, it began with Alex, uh, who was a wealth of information, sure. not all of which proved to be perfectly reliable yeah. about um, his experience. Um, I mean, it, it, his information about the military was very reliable. Uh -huh. uh, I spoke to a number of the conspirators, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. some of whom were um, former army rangers, and I did find, I, I was never able to um, get into official contact with the ranger regiment, sure. um, but I spoke to a number of soldiers that I met through various social channels. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I just spread my um, net as wide as I could um, for the first few years of the project as I tried to familiarize myself mm -hmm. with this incredibly alien culture. It's like learning another language. Right. There's just so much terminology. AARs and uh, and like red zones and AK-47s and M-16s yeah. and I, it was a, a blizzard of acronyms mm -hmm. um, for a while and um, I found some incredibly kind and, and helpful um, soldiers to help me through some of that. Yeah. And, and not only that, you talked about your cousin being a wealth of information. Can you go into a little bit some of the things you talk about in the book about what he had to go through through for the, the Army Ranger, the, the indoctrination program? Because I like I felt myself like let out like a noise as I was reading that, like to myself, just like a verbal like, oh my god, yeah, of everything. Cause, so can you just kind of go through? Because I don't think people truly understand the physical and mental, you know 
torment that these people, that these guys, men and women, have to go through to do this program. Yeah, it is really extreme. So the Ranger indoctrination program is the third stage in training on, right. on the path to the Rangers after basic and um, jump school, each of which is fairly rigorous in its exactly. own right. But the Ranger Indoctrination Program, which is now called the Ranger Assessment yeah, Selection no Program. No longer called RIP. <laughs> no longer called RIP. Very ominous name. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was a four-week-long program um, in which, through a series of uh, exercises that kind of wore the clothing of educational training exercises, right. but were really just brutal um, attempts to get recruits to quit, these these young guys um, would would uh, gradually like become sleep deprived and yeah. physically exhausted mm -hmm. and embattled to the point that they almost totally lost the sense of who they were. Yeah, you you talk about um, there's a, a portion in there where you're saying that for upwards of like two or three straight days, they're basically running back and forth just to get wood for a fire for their commanding officers yeah. and you know there are I've seen there was the, a TV special surviving the cut that yeah. showed some of this oh, not too long ago but when you get it in little video clips you just don't grasp the exhaustion yeah. that sets in when you have to go through this for so long the one one of the the more extreme things they had to do was hold a telephone pole in the air for 48 straight hours and teams of six napping in shifts underneath it if you just imagine what happens to your mind right. on the second day of holding this thing up? It's crazy. You, you even uh, something else that I like again. I was blown away by is Alex talks about how they it was suggested them to grab like Tabasco and basically put it in their eyes to keep themselves awake. And first off, that sounds horrific in its own right. But then he he, he talk about how he said he got to the point of such such exhaustion that like. Pouring tobacco in his own eyes wasn't even keeping him awake anymore. I just... Yeah. The things that all of these people go through, I feel like it's not hard to understand why when they're broken down so much like this, they could be almost sort of brainwashed into thinking that something like arming or robbing a bank is part of the program. Do you think that a lot of what, what they go through leads these these men to potentially have that capability of if there is you know a bad apple that has an idea that's like yeah well i i'm not sure that i would go that far anymore okay. i would have gone that far yeah in the beginning um i think for alex when he first in prison started reading these scholarly mm -hmm. books about um ranger indoctrination and coercive social influence um he was his mind was completely blown. He was going down the you know the bullet points yeah. on Robert Lifton's eight themes of totalitarianism and 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 just seeing okay like control of all connection to the outside world like loading the language um, uh, just all of every single uh, criterion by which brainwashing or you know cult uh, indoctrination is mm -hmm. identified applied to the training they'd gone through. So he he really felt it was this kind of magic explain everything away yeah. um, wand but I've come to view his involvement as um, having a, a much more complex array of um, reasons much more complex array of causes I don't think it's right to think of these guys as somehow 
scrambled in the head and sure. unable to process reality after they sure. come through this. I think, I think a, a better way of thinking about what the um, what a selection process like that does is instill a profound, profound loyalty mm-hmm. to the community that you've gained entry into with such um, a painful process. Yeah, you know, like if you decide. Deciding that the, this community is not for you is the same as deciding that the most agonizing thing you've ever gone through was somehow meaningless or worthless. Right. You really want to rationalize having endured that much yeah. to gain entry into this by valuing what you've gained. Yeah, and something, and you touched on something that I think is really important when you talk about it's. You want to talk, you know, it, despite how you know impossible it sounds to go through these things, or I can't imagine doing it, but the amount of Bonding. I mean, if it's, I think it's something where, you know, these these people know that I'm. We're going to be put into very, very serious danger once we get through this program. And so, knowing that there's a guy on your right or left that has gone through this with you, I imagine it brings them together in a way that there's very few things in the world can. Yeah, it's really true, and they pine for that brotherhood after they leave it. I mean, you know, the community persists after their service is over. Um, Alex. Every civilian job he's ever taken, mm-hmm. he comes back to me just, just complaining of how hard it is to trust these coworkers who haven't right. you know, peed on each other to keep warm <laughs> in the cold nights of, yeah. of uh, the ranger indoctrination program. Yeah. Uh, so something else I want to talk about. I, I work for a library company, and I know the libraries are a very big part of your of your life as well. Before we started recording, we talked about a, a room that you got to speak in a, a few days ago at the time of recording this, which was full of librarians. But I was wondering if you could maybe just talk a little bit about libraries and, and how they've played a part in your life, kind of getting to you to where you are today. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, in a way, you can tell the whole story of writing this book in terms of the series of libraries <laughs> that I was moving through as I was working on it. Um, so my mother was a librarian. Mm-hmm. I grew up with um, her presiding over our elementary school library in the top mm-hmm. floor of my school. I could wander up there any time yeah. and um, have mom put the perfect book in my hands. Um, so I've always felt so um, at home in libraries, mm-hmm. so embraced by libraries. I think they are um, the, the great repositories of our intellectual soul. Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that about your, your mom kind of re- residing over your you know your library growing up. My mom was a, a third and fourth grade teacher for 39 years, and when I was in third and fourth grade in her school, I would do the same thing. I would, at the end of the day, I would go into her room and like, a, I would feel kind of like king of the castle because I'm like, oh, my mom is the teacher, uh-huh. but I knew that she would always have something. She'd be like, hey, Adam, this this is a book that I think you would really love. It's it's wonderful to have that person there to say like. I know this will be right for you. So do you remember some of those books that you could kind of put in your hands when you were growing up? Oh, yeah. Um, let me let me reach back. <laughs> uh, she got me going on science fiction when yes. I was very young. That was a very artful bridge from my math interests right. into the literary world. So um, I think the first grown-up book that I ever read was... Um, Arthur C. Clarke. I think it was. I think it was 2001: mm-hmm. Space Odyssey or Rendezvous with Rama, which is one of his weirder, <laughs> like you know, B sides uh-huh. uh, and childhoods. And she she got me going on uh, Orson Scott Card. I read Ender's Game mm-hmm. and got completely obsessed with it yeah. when I was 
you know, now, did you continue nine. with the whole series? Because a, oh, yeah. a lot of people will just read Ender's Game and they'll stop, and that blows my mind. I'm like, there's so much more to this story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, I went deep, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess Speaker for the Dead, Xenocide, mm-hmm. and then the, the weird Bean series yeah. that came like a decade later uh-huh. I got way into also. I've read all of those books. I love them. Uh, so are you still, you know, kind of as a adult when you're not reading, you know, research and things like that? Are, are you still reading science fiction types of books? And- you know, I've really fallen out of science fiction. Um, at the same time that I went on my, like, humanities isolation diet, <laughs> I, I cut out all of the sci-fi. But mm-hmm. um, now that I'm done reading social psychology and, yeah. like, psychopathy and military science and all the heavy research I've had to do for this book, I might start allowing myself yeah. some guilty pleasures. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I wanna, one more question I want to ask you about you know, libraries and, and books. You, know, you talk about how your mom put the right books in your hands when you were growing up, and um, you know a lot of them were science fiction and kind of, sort of like adjacent-ish to what you were loving in the mathematical mm-hmm. world. Your cousin also kind of started his path when it had to do with books as well. Yeah, correct? yeah, he did. He was a huge reader when he was a kid. Um, the book that launched him on his military trajectory more than any other was *Band of Brothers* right. by Stephen Ambrose which is a beautifully written book um, about a uh, company of paratroopers that landed behind enemy lines um, for D-Day. And uh, Alex became so enamored of this this kind of team spirit that mm-hmm. infused military actions. He was a big sports guy. Yeah. So again, it was kind of adjacent to what he loved. Um, and... Uh, and then he read everything else that Ambrose had written about World War II. Our grandfather fought in World War II. Alex was already interested in his service, and Ambrose was a, a way into reading books about it. And and from there, he built a huge collection. Um, he uh, when he became when the when the Rangers took over as the the great Valhalla of his imagination. Um, he got obsessed with Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come to the Rangers through Black Hawk Down. Right which was filmed in with the, the film version of it as well as the book. The film was, was shot in close collaboration with the Ranger Regiment. Right. So they used real Ranger gear and um, the characters, you know, are, are real life Rangers. Right. It's just so exciting for people in that world yeah. to see it all in action. Um, something people will discover when they read this book, and I, I want to emphasize it, this is a non-fiction book, but the way you write it is so enthralling like I I could feel like my heart kind of like beating as as you're telling the story and going through everything it is clear that you are an incredible writer and I'm curious if this is something that you're going to continue with I hesitate to ask you like are you working on another book right now because I know you just spent seven years doing this but (laughs) is this something that you could see yourself kind of moving forward yeah of course yes I love writing Mm -hmm. I feel incredibly incredibly fortunate to have been given the opportunity to pursue this career yeah and it was it was I, I've always dabbled in it I had kind of dreamed that I might um, find a way to make it a part of my life mm-hmm. I never dreamed it would be a career but yeah. now that that is an opportunity I'm, I'm thrilled yeah and and do you foresee yourself telling other people's stories kind of like Alex's as, as they come along or is this going to be something where you know if you are reading a newspaper one morning and something kind of sparks your imagination I guess do you have like a nugget of an idea something that you want to start working on only 17 or 18 I mean it's been seven <laughs> years you that's know, a good point um, I've had and I've kept thinking I'm going to be done each year so <laughs> I've had my next book planned at each of those points and sure. it's been a different book each year 
the question is which project to pursue next. I'd love to write some fiction. Mm -hmm. um, I went to NYU for fiction, studied with Jonathan Lethem there in particular, who was a big influence and, yeah. and a big help in, in getting this book out into the world. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to doing some of that. Um, I'd love to do some science writing as well. I'm no longer on my diet. I'm, I really love math and science and am so excited to be able to come at it from this more humanistic yeah. direction. Um, and something I always love asking people who have spent so much time crafting this, this you know, story, writing is a very, you know, it can be a very solitary trade. You talked about spending a lot of time in libraries and, mm -hmm. and you know, doing the research and things like that. Now that this book is out and you're you know, just starting to, to talk about it with people and go in rooms with hundreds of librarians and things like that, what has that experience been like to kind of go from completely isolated to out in the world and, and sharing the story? Yeah, frankly a little bewildering. <laughs> I've This is my first book, of course, so right. the whole notion that there might be a world of other people out there who, who would read mm -hmm. a book that, that I'm writing is still mostly hypothetical to me. <laughs> like, I understand it as abstractly mm -hmm. probable, like yeah. not just possible, but probable at this point, but um, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. I, yeah. Yesterday I had a signing session and some, you know, a couple hundred people filed through one after another and I just, every single one I was looking at with some disbelief that <laughs> they were standing in front of me. But it's really lovely. It's, yeah. Everyone has been um, very, very lovely. The book has gotten some great feedback from people, which I'm, I'm very excited about. And uh, I'm just thrilled to be able to put it in readers' hands. Yeah. And then last question for you is, what do you hope people take away from reading Ranger Games? That's a good question. I think more than anything, I hope they feel inspired to um, ask the people close to them deep questions about the painful, hard to explain things that they've gone through. I, I think everyone has, everyone lives with these um, different kinds of trauma or pain um, that are in some way impossible to articulate, even to those closest to us. And I think the more that we're able to work through those layers of confusion and mistranslation and projection and misrepresentation to get at the kernel of that true experience that someone close to us went through, um, the greater the opportunities for healing and growth for both people. Well, I just have to say, I, reading this book was an absolute pleasure, and I want everyone out there to go read it. It's truly incredible. and. Sincerely, thank you so much for talking with me today about it. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really nice talking. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.